Let's go to the Lord again in prayer. Heavenly Father, as we sing the song that we just sang, it causes us to really wonder if we're put to the test if we would rather have Jesus than all the other things that are mentioned. In our flesh, we desire to be pampered. We desire the ease of life. We desire recognition. We desire financial security and all of the other things of life. But I believe that we can truly say that we love Your darling Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And there is that within us that desires to be totally consumed by Him, of Him, through Him, in Him. We know that we have to live out our lives in this sinful body. And we talk about departing and being with Christ, which is far better. And we talk about the resurrection of the body and being with you in a sinless body, sinless soul, no sin in any way. And yet we don't even know what it is. We like to think about it. We anticipate it. We believe it shall be. Just as Abraham Look for a city that has foundations of which you are the builder and the maker thereof. And so likewise, we look for that city. We believe that we have been given a picture of it in the book of the Revelation. And as majestic and glorious as it is described there, we can't even comp comprehend that. We know what a pearl is. At least we know somewhat of its making. But a gate, a pearl, We've never seen. The stones that are descriptive of the foundation, we've tried to look them up and read about them. Sometimes when we're in a jewelry store or around where stones like that are for sale, we try to look at some of them and have somewhat of a comprehension of what it's all about, and we still cannot fathom it. We know what gold is. We know what a street is. But we cannot comprehend a street of gold. 
particularly clear as crystal. The river with the tree of life on either side, even to, to depart and be with Christ and dwell with Him in our spirit, waiting till the resurrection. All of these things are God that causes us to, our souls to palpitate from time to time and yet not as much as we would like or desire, but they're real. Abraham knows what it is to be with you in spirit. We have the faith of Abraham. Someday we'll know that unless we're alive when the Lord returns. And then we suppose we'll bypass that state. Now, as we study your word, I pray that you would help us to grasp a few things that would be food for our souls. In Jesus' name, Amen. Coming back to Galatians chapter 3, verses 11 and 12, we'll say a few things about them, but we will not go into the depth that we would go if it if we had not already covered that quite a bit uh, in chapter 2 when it talks about living by faith. I'll read those two verses and then we're probably going down into verses 13 and 14. In fact, I'll just read all four of them now. But that no man is justified by the law in the sight of God, it is evident for the just shall live by faith. And the law is not of faith. But the man that doeth them shall live in them. Christ hath redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone that hangeth on a tree. That the blessing of Abraham might come on the Gentiles through Jesus Christ, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. No man is justified by the law. The law cannot justify. All the law can do is condemn. Then he says, the just shall live by faith. And we pointed this out beforehand. This is a quote from Habakkuk 2.4 that's quoted in Romans 1.17 here in Galatians 3.11 and in Hebrews 10.28, I believe it is. And we have labored somewhat throughout this epistle so far and we did somewhat this morning to show that what living by faith is. Living by faith is simply what? Keeping the Word of God or living by the Word of God. You can't get any simpler than that. It's not complicated in its definition. It is often complicated in application because uh, it's one thing for the Bible to say that when Christ said He didn't come to bring peace but a sword and that 
my father and mother and brother and sister and son and daughter and they of your own household uh, may be uh, your very enemy. It's not that way in some households. And in some households it, it is. And that's not easy. That's not simple. That's a complicated thing sometimes. And sometimes uh, people that are kin to each other, when they are around them at some family gatherings or other things, sometimes you don't know exactly how to conduct yourself. You know you want to conduct yourself in a way that is honoring to God and you're not trying to be offensive to family members, but sometimes you are and uh, they are just like the world. They expect you to accept them in their ungodliness and doing whatever they want to do, but uh, they refuse to accept you in your godliness. And so you have that. That's just one uh, in, uh, thing, uh, one example. But simply living by faith is simply living by what the Word of God says. And such people that live by faith they realize that they can never be justified by their own deeds or works. And they do not strive to live to be accepted by God by trying to keep the law. They desire to keep the law. They love the law. But they know that unless they are accepted by God in the righteousness of Jesus Christ, there is no salvation for them. And I know very well for myself, there's no salvation for me outside of the person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ. And since there is no salvation in keeping the law, and since the law only condemns us, we still need to be clear on this point that we are to live in obedience to the law. It all centers around the motive. In other words, we don't live according to the law in order to gain from God. We live according to the law because our love and devotion to God. When the lawyer asked Christ, what is the greatest commandment and or what he might do in order to inherit eternal life, Jesus Christ told him, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul and with all thy mind. This is the first and the great commandment. And the second is likened to it. Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. And on these two hang all the law and the prophets. These two commandments. You'll find that in Matthew 22 verses 27 through I mean, 37, excuse me, through 40, and in connection with Luke 10.25. We are still obligated to keep these commandments as well as all of the moral precepts that are given to us in the Scriptures. And yet the law was not given to give life. The law was not given to provide salvation. 
the law was given to manifest sin. Romans 3, verse 20. Turn there. Therefore, by the deeds of the law shall no flesh be justified in his sight, for by the law is the knowledge of sin. That's what the law does. It tells us and convinces their sin. And as we'll find out later on in the third chapter of Galatians, I don't think we'll get to that today. It's in verse 19. But it tells us that the law was given because of transgressions. It was given because of sin. If we were all righteous and sinless, there'd be no need for a law. Why? Because we'd always do what's right. Wouldn't be any need for a law. But the law was given to manifest sin. It was not given to give life. And yet, even though we are to keep the law and we're bound by the law, regarding our salvation, the law or the works of the law cannot save and it is not to be obeyed in order for salvation. It's not to be obeyed in order for salvation it is to be obeyed simply because not only did God give it, but as a dutiful child and a loving child desires to obey their parents, then uh, the child of God desires to obey God's laws. Not in order to be God's child, but because He is God's child. And like I said, I think I said it even this morning, that it is obvious that the law cannot save because no man has ever obeyed all of the law with his heart, soul, mind, body, and strength 24-7. If you break one law, you're worthy of eternal punishment. Eternal punishment. And he who lives under the law for salvation is in total bondage and he is a slave to the law. And even though he's in total bondage to the law and a slave to the law, he hates the law. When a man is trying to do enough good in order to be saved, he gets to the point that he realizes that the more he tries, the worse off he is. And the more he tries, the, not only the worse off he is, the more he hates the very law that he's trying to keep. But the problem's not in the law. The problem's in us. Because we can't keep it. There's no way that we can keep it. And even though we're under the law and we're to obey the law and we're to keep the law, we're not to do so in order to try to gain salvation. That is legalism. Often when men and women try to dress decently and not cross-dress and as this society is going more and more and more. <clears throat> and I don't have any problem talking about 
the fact that cross-dressing is sin. It's just as sinful for a man to wear uh, a dress as it is for women to wear pants. That's just, that's just cross-dressing. You can't slice it any other way. And you look at it historically and you look at it biblically, it, it's one and the same. And I know that this congregation, if I came to, came in here today, or even if you were to come to my house and catch me sitting around in a dress, you'd probably think something about it. And I say, oh, well, I'm just wearing it because it's more comfortable. Well, it's not a matter of whether it's comfort or not comfort. It's a matter of thus saith the Word of God. I won't go back to Deuteronomy and go into all of that. <clears throat> but uh, you can see where cross-dressing has brought our society. You can see where it is. Where a man can say he's no longer a man, he's a woman. And a woman can say she's no longer a woman, she's a man. And, and the idiocy, the idiocy of a person that has gone to uh, school and is up for uh, to be on the highest court of the land to say that she cannot define what a woman is. If she doesn't know what a woman is, how does she know that she is who she is? I mean, where is the the lack of common sense? Just the lack of common sense. But anyway, what I'm trying to say is, and, and while I'm on the subject, I'll just say this. When parents allow their children to run around in their shorts and in their short shorts and have their little girls running around in their so-called tutus and in their ballerina things and, and all of that, uh, that's not modest either. What is it teaching them? What is it teaching them? But when somebody comes along and says that you ought to dress modestly and you ought to act modestly, then all of a sudden they want to say, you're just a legalist. Well, that's not being a legalist. If somebody, if, if they're dressing that way in order to uh, be saved, yes it is. And there are some people that they dress in long dresses and they wear head coverings and they uh, do certain things in order for salvation. That is a legalist. But there are others that wear their head coverings and they wear their uh, modest dresses and they uh, live and do uh, live in such a way that is honoring and pleasing to God. They do that out of love and devotion to God, and they do that because the Bible says so. That's not being a legalist. Being a legalist is to do things in order to get benefits from God and or salvation. And every one of us, by nature, is a legalist. Every one of us, by nature, is a legalist. For example... We may go for a day or two and it seems like that uh, there's no fellowship with the Lord and our Bible reading is just dull and, and this, that, and the other. And we think, you know, I, I just need to, I need to be more faithful in order for God to bless me in my Bible reading. That's being a legalist. We should be more faithful. No question about that. And we should not be dry but what we need to do instead of saying I need to get better in order for God to bless me, we need to repent and confess our sins and ask God to bless us because of the imputed righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ and know that God accepts me not because of what I do, but God accepts me in the righteousness of another. You see, you can do the same thing and one of it be right and the other be wrong. It's the attitude and the purpose behind it all as to why we do 
what we do and ought to do what we do. The true believer trusts in the righteousness of God and he strives to obey the law that is the Holy Scriptures because of his great love to God and for what Christ has done for him in redeeming him from his sins. It is sad from all appearance today that people base their salvation on their works. Though some would say otherwise. And why do I say that? Because often when you ask someone why they believe they are saved, too often such answers are given that they're kind to others and they believe that their good outweighs their bad. Most people think that way. Oh, I'm kind to others. I don't try to hurt anybody. I think I do more good than I do bad. Or, often when someone dies, many people say that they're going to heaven or going to be with God because of all the good while they were down here. Oh, so-and-so is just so good. You can have a rapist or a drug user and uh, he get killed, maybe even by the police, and it's not the police's fault, and so on. You know, all the rest, oh, he's just a, such a good person. He was just such a good, so, so kind. He never hurt anybody. He never did this. Oh, yeah, he broke into some stores and he stole some stuff, but, you know, he was just an oppressed child. And the general consensus the general consensus of the population today is if anyone dies, I don't care who it is, he's in a better place. And they're living a life in that better place just like they lived down here. What I mean by that Oh, the race car driver, he's, he's, he's driving a better car now. Or the golf uh, player, oh, he's really enjoying his golf game now. Or the actor that died, no matter how many uh, he or she, no matter how many people they kissed and laid in bed with and, and how many... Uh, filthy words they, they used and took God's name in vain and all of that. Well, they're out of their miseries now. Well, if God didn't grant them repentance, they're in more misery than they ever have been. But that's the general consensus. All general consensus. Some person dies and the news media talks about them in such a way that they're in a better place. Well, beloved, everybody's not in a better place. And that's the song uh, that's in one of our books talks about. The life they lived here below proves where they are afterward. Afterward. But the general consensus of people is let me ask this when's the last and I don't say that a preacher ought to do this but have you ever been to a funeral where the person dead was said to be anywhere but in a better place I was requested to preach a funeral and if I were to call some names uh, you probably remember the occasion 
but I was requested to preach a funeral of an individual that the family told me that they had no indication that that family member had ever uh, professed any faith in Christ or ever appeared to have any evidence of being a believer. And I remember the text that I took. It was the rich man and Lazarus. And I preached. I never said where this individual was other than the fact that this individual, if they could come back to life and speak to the audience, they would say to follow Christ. And why would I say that? Because the rich man, he didn't want his brothers coming where he was. In other words, I didn't give any evidence of anybody being a child of grace. I had one of my own family members that I preached their funeral. All I did is say, this is what so-and-so professed to believe, though they never... made public profession biblically. But I did hear of a man in Georgia one time that a funeral was being preached and the preacher got up and said, I don't know why y'all called me to preach this man's funeral. He was a drunk. Everybody knew he was a drunk. Y'all drank with him. Why didn't you call your bartender instead of calling me? Well, I don't know that that was the proper place to do such a thing. But my point is this. The general idea of most people today is that if you die, then God accepts you. And what, what is that? That's nothing but based on works. It's not grace. It's based on works. They were a good person. Look what they did. They gave money to this. Or they, they did things for that person. Or they, it's always what they accomplished. What they did. That's nothing but works. And beloved, we who truly trust in Christ know beyond any reason of any doubt that we do not do more good than we do bad. Now we may not be out here on the street shooting dope committing adultery, fornication, robbing banks, and doing things like that. But all we have to do is just think about what we think about throughout the day. And most of our thoughts are centered on self than it is God. Most of our sins are in the mind. That's the reason we don't love the Lord our God with all our hearts and all our soul and all, all our mind and so on. Because our minds are, are... We cannot get away from ourselves. People have tried to uh, live a life of celibacy. Uh, Origen was a man that he wanted to live a life of celibacy. And he had such a problem with his sexual mind, he operated on himself and thought maybe by removing some of his sexual organs, he might get better, but he couldn't do it because he couldn't get away from his mind. He couldn't get away from his mind. You see, my problem is me more than you. And your problem is you more than me. You can't get away from your mind.
We can sit down and read a, a, a book or watch something on the computer or television or maybe read a newspaper or a magazine and not have a bit of problem and pick up the Bible and read two verses and fall asleep. Or our mind is wandering off somewhere else instead of on the Word of God. You see, the, the point is, a man can't, can't keep the law. And the harder he tries, the more in bondage that he is, because the harder he tries, the more he realizes how much a sinner he is. And we who have been living in the kingdom uh, for several years, the, usually our testimony is the longer we live, the more sinful we see ourselves to be. Because we just realize really how bad we are outside of Christ. No. The law is not of faith, but the man that doeth them shall live in them. And I tell you what, I sure don't want to be shut up to a life of living in the law for salvation. I want to keep the law. I desire to keep the law. But I want the blessed assurance that Jesus is mine. That all of my righteousness is wrapped up in Him and not in me. And the only reason that can be is because Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law. Verse 13 and 14. Verses 13 and 14. Christ hath redeemed. It did not say Christ made redemption possible. If Christ made redemption possible, left up to me to do the rest, it never would have been done. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law. Every individual for whom Christ died each and every one, how many that there be, He redeemed each and every one from the curse of the law. He did not set an example of how to be saved. He redeemed. He redeemed. Let us get that through our head. He redeemed. And if He redeemed every human being then every human being will be with him in glory but the bible tells us there are multiplied millions that are going to be cast into hell we're the, in the lake of fire with the beast with the false prophet with the man of sin And they're cast into the lake of fire for the penalty of their sins. You know, there are people that hate each other, that wish each other were in hell. And if God doesn't change them, both of them will be in hell and they'll have to be there with each other for eternity. Imagine that. 
Imagine that. But usually the person that wishes the other person were in hell, they don't think they're going to be there. Even though they're not believers. I don't know where they think they're going to be. I don't know where they think, how they think they're going to escape. And I, I don't know what they're thinking about. They're, evidently they're not thinking about the fact that, well, if I go to hell and they're going to be going to hell, then, well, he's going to, he or she's going to be glad that they're in hell. But evidently they're going to be worse than he or she is. You know, man is just totally insane, isn't he? Without Christ, he doesn't have a lick of sense. He may be have the smartest IQ uh, this side of the grave. But if he doesn't have Christ, he doesn't have a lick of sense. But Christ, beloved, hath redeemed us. Are you redeemed? Are you redeemed? Rejoice that you are redeemed. Rejoice that Christ has redeemed you from the curse of the law. Why? Oh, let me say this. Christ did not pay for all sins except the sin of unbelief. He paid for each and every sin of those for whom He died. He paid for each and every sin. And those who preach a gospel that Christ has done all that He could and now it's left up to you to do the rest. Well, they can believe that if they want to, but if they do, they can't sing as I can sing. I can sing, Jesus paid it all. All the debt I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain. And He washed me white as snow. That's one rendering of it. That's what I like. Jesus paid it all. Every, every, every sin, every sin, sin of idleness, sin of cold-heartedness, sin of an unjust anger against another, maybe unjust anger against a brother or sister, sin of lying, Sin of stealing, sin of lust, sin of covetousness, sin of taking God's name in vain, not loving and respecting parents as I ought. Just go on and on and on. Jesus paid it all. All the dead I owe. Hebrews 9.12 tells us that He obtained He obtained eternal redemption for us. Neither by the blood of goats and calves, but by His own blood. He entered in once into the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption for us. He didn't try to redeem. And it wasn't just a redemption here in time. But it's a redemption both here in time and in the future and forever. He obtained eternal redemption.
He was made a curse for us. Since we're here in Hebrews 9, look at the last verse. So Christ was once offered to bear the sins of many, and unto them that look for Him shall He appear the second time without sin unto salvation. He was once offered to bear the sins of many. He bore my sins. He bore my sins. 2 Corinthians 5.21 Christ was made sin for us. For He, that is God, hath made Him sin for us who knew no sin that we might be made made the righteousness of God in Him. Just as Christ was made sin, we were made the righteousness of God. It wasn't Christ was made sin if. And it's not that we're made the righteousness of God if. But it's all in Christ. He was made sin for us. He didn't know any sin, but He was made sin that we might be made the righteousness of God. Romans 8. Romans 8, verse 3. For what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh, God sending His own Son in the likeness of sin the sinful flesh and for sin condemned sin in the flesh. Condemned sin in the flesh. We must be clear in this. Christ was not made a sinner. He was not a sinner, but He was made sin. He was judicially constituted sin. Sin is a verb. Sinner is a noun. Christ was not a sinner, but He was made sin. He was made sin. And like we said, he knew no sin. You remember, he was talked to his enemies in John, John eight, forty six. He said, "Which of you convinces me of sin?" He could stand before his enemies and say, "Find a sin in me if you can." I can't even stand before my friends and say that without you finding a sin in me. This congregation, who I think thinks quite highly of me, but I do know this much, you know that I'm a sinner. Not only because the Bible says so, you've probably seen some sins in me sometime, and I didn't see it. <laughs> But you saw it, and you were kind enough not to point it out to me. And you were kind enough to realize that, that I am a sinner, and you look over my faults, for which I'm thankful. But though you may look over it, Christ had to pay for it. Christ had to pay for it. Oh, it was just a little thing. It doesn't matter. Little thing or big thing. Christ had to pay for our sins. He was sinless. We have a high priest that is touched with the feelings of our infirmities. And it was in all points like as us. Uh, 
uh, without but without sin. Hebrews four. I messed up the quoting on that, but he was sinless. He was sinless. Well, I'm going to stop here because I need to. I've got some more things I want to talk about on this, but if I try to get it all in, it'll run us far too, too, uh, too much overtime. But I hope you can rejoice in the fact that that He redeemed us from the curse of the law. He was made a curse for us. I say that, but the weight of it does not impact me as it ought, I'm quite certain. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, I thank You for the love that You had for us before the world was. And that same love being instilled in the Lord Jesus Christ. He who knew no sin was made sin on our behalf that we might have your righteousness, not your inherent righteousness, but your imputed righteousness. And that every every weight of the law and every just condemnation of the law was fulfilled in the sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ. Help me to appreciate that more. In Jesus' name, Amen.